Do you know what made me laugh? Uh, when, when Sam mentioned Black Friday, and I know all of us probably purchased things on Black Friday. Pearl, uh, sorry, Zatel, Sam's daughter, just turned to me and said, what's Black Friday? So I was explaining it's a day of the year when the you know, retail sector lower the prices on things so that you can buy things for, uh, for cheap. And she says, I don't really care what things cost. <laughs> I went, yeah, but your dad does. <laughs> I went, you'll definitely change that attitude when you've got a job. <laughs> I love the innocence of kids, don't you? That's great. So it's good to be together today. I just want to reiterate as well from, uh, from uh, Sam this morning that if you're, you're new with us today, it's really great to, uh, to have you here. If you've not been for a while as well and you're, and you're, and you're just coming back and visiting J28, look, it's, it's really excellent to be together, isn't it? Um, God's word's important. God's word's important, isn't it? You know, let's start there this morning. I think I said a few weeks ago that, you know, there are many wonderful things we do in the church in the name of the gospel, our programs, our, our meetings, all of this kind of stuff. But what is spoken by the church, you know, in other words, what comes from the, from the pulpit um, is very much, you know, central to, to, to the church. Um, and I don't know about you, but if you want to be encouraged and built up in your faith, then coming around this book is of the utmost importance. Having a hunger and a desire to get, open, get it open every day and to, to, you know, to drench yourself in the truth that is on every single page is essential for you and I if we want to grow in our Christian, uh, in our Christian walk with Christ. So you know, before we get into it this morning, let's just pray. Is that all right? Let's pray this morning. Let's just commit this time to God, this brief time that we've got together. Lord, um, Lord we thank you. Lord, we start, Lord, with thanks. You are the awesome creator, Lord. You're the author of life, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Lord, there is nothing in existence outside of you. Nothing in this whole universe outside of you. Lord, you are constant. You are continual. Lord, we could spend all morning just thinking upon those facts, Lord, and not even scratching the surface, Lord, of the magnitude and the mystery and the glory of who you really are, the great I am. I am who I am, as you declared right at the, at the beginning uh, of, of your word in Genesis. Lord, I, I pray this morning that as we come around your word, as we continue our series, Lord, looking at the fruits of the Spirit, Lord, that we'd be encouraged, that we'd be built up, but more than anything, Lord, that we'd see the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So before I do that this morning, I've got a special treat for you. So uh, for those of you that are um, uh, that maybe haven't been here uh, or you're new in the past few weeks, we're doing a series at the minute on the fruits of the of the Holy Spirit. Um, so we've done love and joy and peace, patience last week. That was great from Sam. Uh, and so this week we're on the fifth fruit of the Spirit. We're at the halfway point, and we're going to be talking about kindness. So I've actually asked uh, a lady that you know virtually everybody here knows and has done for quite some time. But if you're new to J28 today. This lady, I'm really fond of this lady. She's wonderful. Uh, and God has clearly given her a, uh, an amazing gift to communicate the, or to articulate deep truth of his word in poetry. Right? And I take my hat off to her for that because I'm useless with poetry. Mine's like playground poetry, like roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and you smell like... <laughs> Don't go, hey, all right, calm down now, all right. So I'm going to bring up a pro. Is that all right? Let's welcome Kay this morning. She's written something on topic for us. I've asked, I asked her a few weeks ago, can you rustle me something up for this topic on kindness? And this is what she's come up with. Bless you, Kay. Thank you. 
<clears throat> My poem is entitled Kindness. Kindness in the heart we cannot take for granted from those who have been hurt and those who've been ill-treated. Their wounds are often deep and last sometimes for years. It is Jesus who can heal and rid them of their fears. Kindness in the heart, born out of kindness shown, evidence within us as day by day we've grown. It is the circumstance of what we see as children that determines who will be and if kindness will be given. Kindness can't be forced. If it is, it's never real. But part of the new nature, it will rise so that we feel desire to show the world what in us God has done. So many will believe and many will be one. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? It's part of the new nature. It will rise so that we feel desire to show the world what in us God has done. So many will believe and many will be one. I love that. I've just highlighted that. Kay gave me the, uh, a copy of it a few um, last week. And uh, I just sat dwelling upon it a little bit this week. And uh, thank you for that, Kay. Thank you for that. That sets me up nicely for, for the message this morning. I'm aware that it's, you know, it's blowing all over the place outside and there's a metal roof on this building. So um, if it's a, I'll, I'll try and speak up. Um, Jez, if you have to turn me up or something like that. Is every, can everybody hear me all right with the wind? Yeah. yeah. All right. Great stuff. Excellent stuff. So as I said, we are speaking this week on the, on the fifth fruit of the Spirit, on kindness kindness but just before we you know what before we get into topic I thought you know what seeing as we're at the halfway point in the series this morning I thought I'm going to take some time just to reiterate what the motivation behind this series is um, what the overriding intention of this series is if you like and that is that it isn't just so much so you know when I was planning this and I was just seeking God about uh, about the, what we would bring in this series and we're going to take nine you know nine weeks to go over the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit um, but the motivation is so much more than just having an understanding of what love looks like an understanding of what joy looks like an understanding of peace and so on and so forth um, you know that is that is part of it it's important in our Christian journey that we grow in understanding and it is important that we grow in knowledge but um, you know, and as we look at these, uh, but actually as we look at these qualities, the, the important thing for me is that we actually have a desire to grow in them. That we actually have a desire to grow in them, rather than just to have a head knowledge of them, an understanding of them, an actual desire to make it a part of who we are. So that as we read Galatians 5.22, we can actually look at it and say, I am becoming that which Paul is speaking about. It's so easy, isn't it, for us to read the Bible like a textbook or is it just me it's really easy to start reading the bible uh, and getting into a um, into a pattern of just treating it like a textbook or a study book um, that fills our mind but doesn't actually affect our hearts we can treat it like a, a study book that does, that fills our minds but doesn't affect our hearts or have any bearing upon the way that we live but that's not what the bible was 
written for. It wasn't written to be a textbook, even though it is historically a phenomenally accurate and magnificent book. It's more than just a study book. Like, seriously, you can read the Bible. Please hear me now. You can read the Bible for decades. You can read it for absolutely decades and it not make one jot of difference to your life. Honestly, there are atheists that have read the Bible and studied the Bible for decades, yet they haven't met the author of the book. And the same can be true of you and me. Um, I, I've heard it said before, and I think this is really wonderful, that the, book, uh, that the Bible is the only book ever written where the author has to be present for you to, have a good under, to, for you to truly understand it, for you, to, for you to have a heart knowledge of it rather than just a head knowledge of it. So you can read the Bible. You know, your daily devotion can be so mundane and so, um, you know, so robotic that actually we don't actually draw close or grow in love for the author of the book. So our goal of our time together in spe uh, spending these, these nine weeks going through the fruits of the Spirit um, is looking at them, um, that it wouldn't just simply stimulate our minds, but, but that, it would make us, that it would make us salivate with hunger to become that which Paul talks about in Galatians 5. And here's my point this morning. Here's the overriding point I'm trying to make. That takes time. That takes time. Right, this isn't like a step-by-step, step, you know, this is what you do on week one, this is what you do on week two, this is what you do on week three. That's not how discipleship works. That's not how the journey of faith, Christian uh, growth works. It doesn't. You know, you'll have heard me say a couple of weeks ago um, when I was doing a, our, our session on joy, speaking about joy. And one of the things that I said, really, that the thing that I take most from that sermon that stuck with me is that joy doesn't just come from trusting in Jesus one time. It comes from just in, trusting in Jesus for, what did I say? Nobody knows. It comes from trusting in Jesus for a lifetime. Not just one time, but a lifetime. It comes, with, it comes with consistency, and the same applies to literally all of the fruits of the Spirit, that they're part of a continual journey of growth. You know, it, 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 they come through trusting Jesus when you're on the mountaintop and whilst you're in the valley. They come through, through trusting Jesus when you're, uh, you know, when you're having times of clarity where everything seems nicely set out before you and when you're confused. When everything seems foggy, it comes through trusting Jesus in the pleasure and the pain. So growing in the fruits of the Spirit is a journey. Turn to your neighbor and say, journey. Just remember that this morning, journey. Remember that throughout the whole series this morning, uh, this, this, until we come to the end of it in a few weeks' time, that the fruits of the Spirit are part of a journey. A journey that begins with salvation and carries on for the entirety of our Christian lives so until you're promoted to glory this is the journey that you are on okay I mean the scripture that comes to mind there actually is, is 2nd Corinthians 2nd Corinthians 3.18 2nd Corinthians 3.18 Paul there the apostle Paul is talking about growing in Christ-like character and he says and we all as in speaking to the church, speaking to Christians there, we all who with unveiled faces, that's just a term that Paul uses for uh, describing the, that you, know, you no longer are, are fogged, there's no longer a veil over your face, but they actually see truth, see truth clearly because you can see the person of Jesus Christ and you can see that he is God, you can see that he is, uh, he is the only way to salvation. 
He says, we who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You know, those words that he uses there, contemplate and um, being transformed, they're both present tense. In other words, it's, it's, it's an ongoing action. It's not something that's just happened and then that's it. It's an ongoing action, ever-increasing glory. It's continual. And this is the, look, this is the process of what God does every day. This is the process of what happens when you get up tomorrow morning or you go to bed tomorrow evening or at whatever point in the day you decide that you're going to open the Bible each day. This is the process of what happens, increasing, increasing, increasing in Christ-like character. It's what happens every week when we sit in a service like this. And we listen and we come around God's word. It's what happens every day when you commune with God and you, and you pray uh, uh, you know, for, for the people around you. And you pray for yourself that you could increase in Christ-like character. It's the process of becoming more and more like him. You know, what I'm trying to hammer home here this morning, church, is that there is a, um, a bigger picture mentality of Christian growth that realizes that it takes time and it takes patience. You're not the finished article straight away. You know, I, I, we've said it continually, I think, and I've reiterated it loads. We live in a day and age, don't we, where everything's instant this, instant that. You know, it's like the, the pot noodle generation, isn't it? The microwave generation where you pierce the lid, you ping it in for a minute and it comes out and it's done. That's not what Christianity looks like. That's not what Christian faith looks like. And it's, um, you know, it's very popular today to prescribe to, I mean, certainly amongst, I mean, I'd say certainly amongst newer believers, but even, even people that have been Christians for some time, it can be quite popular today to prescribe to this uh, method of discipleship, which will, you know, which will change us quickly, you know, just by doing a few clear, doable steps. Um, you know, we've, we've all seen the books, haven't we? You know, five ways to find freedom or eight steps to finding joy, ten keys to a perfect marriage and all of this kind of stuff. And please hear me, I'm not being too cynical this morning because some of those books do contain biblical truth that will help you. Um, but what I'm saying is generally they miss the mark. They miss the mark because there is a bigger picture perspective to the journey of faith, which you and I, can I just say, don't understand which we don't see, but God does. God does. I mean, you've pro if you're anything like me, you've probably thought to yourself, if God was to reveal to you the, the journey of your life, if you were to see it in its entirety, the way that God would cause you to grow, you would probably run a million miles away, wouldn't you? I know I certainly would. So I would, I would caution you not to push too hard for, you know, this kind of basic foolproof method of discipleship. Because I don't, I don't believe that is, the, that is the heart of God. I don't believe that is what the Bible, uh, that's what the Bible speaks of. Because that approach to growth, you know, it often, um, it often leads to disillusionment. You know, I've followed the steps, but it's just not happening. You know, why is this not working? It can lead to disillusionment, and dare I say it, sometimes it can lead to a crisis of faith. And that's not God's heart for you. God's, God's heart for you is that you would have a steady, um, a steady, persevering faith that puts your trust in him every single day of your life. Not just when things are going swimmingly. So let me tell you this morning, J28, there are times in your journey of faith where you will do all the right things 
This is really heartwarming for you, ready, this morning. There are times in your journey where you will do all the right things, you'll say all the right things, yet you'll still be in the valley. You'll still be in the valley. And I know, I know that firsthand because it applies to me and I've been, I've been there and I know that I will continue to be there at times in my Christian walk as well. Um, you know, this mentality also leaves no room for, it leaves no room for the mystery of God as well, the mystery of, of God's perfectly ordained plan for your life to unfold. You know, Christianity isn't some kind of mathematical formula. This is the way I was thinking about it this week, is it, it's, not, it's not some kind of mathematical formula where you put this together with this, and then this product comes out. That's not the way that it works. You put this together and you put that together and then this is the outcome. That's not the way that the Christian journey works. It's much more complex than that and it requires a heck of a lot of trust in God. It it requires a lot of trust in God. All Christian growth has a starting place and that starting place is trusting Jesus for your salvation. Putting your, putting your, your, your hope and all of your affection upon Jesus for, for your salvation. And that really doesn't change throughout your whole life. There's no other method of Christian growth. Trusting in Jesus is, is it. There will never be a time that arrives in your Christian life where you say, actually, I've reached the point where I no longer need to trust in Jesus. You know, if you ever hear somebody say that, let me say they're not a Christian. They're not a Christian. Because so much of what you, God would desire to um, accomplish or even an establishing you is out of yours and mine, yours, your control and my control. It is. I mean, even me standing here as a pastor this morning, you know, with the, you know, with the, the call of God to to encourage you guys to nurture this flock, to look after this 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 flock as a shepherd. I'm actually aware that actually your Christian growth is out of my control. It's out of my control, just as mine is. Because God is sovereign above all things and he has a perfect plan for your life. And all the control freaks said, amen. Because we like to be in control, don't we? Psalm, sorry not Psalm, it's Proverbs 16 verse 9. Proverbs 16 verse 9, it says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. In other words, you know, God's, God's very happy for us to make plans, you know. It gives us, you know, it gives us all the wisdom literature, for instance, in the Bible, some wonderful stuff in Proverbs, you know, and Ecclesiastes and various other places that, you know, just is real good practical advice for life. You know, you want to find out the person to marry, you know, get looking in here. You want to find the job, the career path to take, get looking in here, see what God's revealed word says. He's happy for us to make plans, but the truth is this, that God's sovereign plan for your life will happen no matter what. No matter what. So, I would say to you, beware of schemes um, that put things in your control. I've become very, cynical is the wrong word, but I'm very skeptical about things that place, uh, about, you know, schemes that place things in my control and promise more than they can deliver. You know, I remember just being an 18-year-old lad and just really drawing close to God. I felt the call of God upon my life. And as a naive naive 18-year-old boy... Um, you know, I had it all planned out. I, I knew that, I knew that, um, you know, I knew that, 
the woman that I would marry. You know, you've got this picture in your mind, you know, the children that I would have, the job that I would uh, work, the way that I should preach, you know, the way that the church should look, that I would end up pastoring, all of this kind of stuff. And can I just say, it never works out like that. <laughs> so take a bit of pressure off yourself. It doesn't work like that. It's a journey where God reveals more and more of himself and his goodness to you. Um, so could I encourage you, don't make naive predictions for your life because God will make you look like a ripe plum, okay? He certainly did me. Um, so that's, that's all of that to say. I know I've, I've kind of um, dwelt there for a little while. I am going to come to kindness in a second. But all of that is to say that the fruits of the Spirit um, develop in us in a journey rather than in a moment. I just want to, to temper the whole series with that, to understand that we're on a journey of increasing in the fruits of the Spirit. So we are going to come on to kindness. And, um, you know, in Galatians 5, Paul talks about those, um, he talks about the, 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 the ways of the flesh, doesn't he? He talks about all the ways of the flesh, and then he comes on to the, to the, the fruit of the Spirit. This is what... This is the benchmark of Christian character. This is the benchmark of what a spirit-filled Christian looks like. And one of the things that he mentions is kindness. Now, I'm going to be honest with you this morning. I think that kindness gets a bit of a bad rap. It gets a bit of a bad rap. It, it almost seems like it's, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit that just doesn't get treated, you know, the same as the others. It seems like it's a bit down the pecking order, as least important, you know, as though you can pick and choose. You know, stand there with your, with your pick and mix bag and say, I'm going to have a bit of love, I'll have a bit of joy, a bit of patience, I won't bother with kindness, gentleness, what are them things? <laughs> the fruits of the Spirit are all of, it, all of equal importance. They're all of equal importance. For the follower of Jesus, the fruits of the Spirit are all of equal importance. And you should be seeking to increase in all of them if we're actively um, inviting the Holy Spirit to work within us. So I'll, I'll put it another way. I think kindness is underrated. I think kindness is underrated. Like I've read now um, quite a lot of Christian books and particularly like Christian leadership books, shall we say. I've read quite a few of them. And one thing that's really stuck out to me is that, um, and again, some of them books are really wonderful and written by really wonderful, faithful authors as well. There's some real good truth in there. Um, but it almost seems like, you know, some of the books that say top qualities of a Christian leader and stuff. And some of it, kindness is never there. Kindness never seems to be, you know, one of the, one of the priorities. It always seems like the down the, down, the, down the bottom of the list of necessary qualities. But Paul says these characteristics, these fruits, are the benchmark of a spirit-filled Christian. You know, I know I'm mentioning Christian leadership there, but let's not fall into the trap of thinking, oh, you know, that's, that's just for Christian leaders to think about. It's just for the clergy. You know, it's not for the lay people. It's, this is for every Christian. Anyone who claims to be a follower of Christ should be actively seeking to grow in these qualities. These qualities are for anyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus anywhere and at any time. And we should be observing and seeking to increase in them. And so with kindness, you know, maybe one of the reasons why it gets treated with a bit of contempt, I think, is because it gets badly misinterpreted. I'll explain what I mean. Um, I think sometimes it's portrayed as weakness. It's seen as a weak virtue, a weak quality. But in actual fact, when it's exercised, it is 
a great strength. And we're going to see that in a moment when we read um, some of what Paul writes in the New Testament. So the, the truth is that the Bible presents kindness in a very different way to the way that we often do. It's a, it's, and it's a compelling portrait of kindness. Seriously. It's a compelling picture of kindness. One that when you see it, it stops. It stops you in your tracks and it makes you pay attention. It makes you pay attention. It makes you rethink how we've defined kindness. Um, because I think one of the pitfalls is that we often equate kindness simply with being pleasant. You know, we, we, we equate kindness with being nice, you know, and putting on a nice smile. Oh, how are you doing, brother and sister? Um, you know, about getting along and not ruffling any feathers. And whilst all those things, don't get me wrong, hear me on this, whilst all those things are positive things, it's not that, I don't think that adequately portrays the full measure of what kindness is, of the fruit of the spirit kindness. It's, I think it's a rather misguided appearance when compared to the kindness that the Apostle Paul speaks of in Galatians. So let me start this morning. Like I've got a few points that I'm going to bring, but let me, let me say this to you. And this, sounds a this might sound a little bit tough, actually. This might sound a little bit radical, but it's true. The Lord is not, the Lord is not nice. He is kind. The Lord is not nice. He is kind. Psalm 145 verse 17 says this, The Lord is righteous in everything he does. He is filled with kindness. Let me say that again. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. He is filled with kindness. Yeah, I've been around, I mean, sorry, if, if you've been around for any length of time now, you will know um, that some of the things that the Lord does actually makes you take a step back and say, wow, this is, this is actually quite tough, Lord. All of us have, have um, times in our lives where we feel like our backs are up against the wall, where we're walking through a valley that is darker and deeper than anything that we would have comfortably liked to have gone through. And if we're honest with ourselves, in those times, like the psalmist writes continually through the book of Psalms, you question God and you say, Lord, this is tough. This is really tough. You see, we love nice, don't we? Who loves nice? Yeah, everybody put your hand up. Everybody loves nice, let's be honest. Unless you're a really cold-hearted person. Human beings generally love nice. You know, I love nice. We all have a robust interpretation of what nice looks like. If I came to Claudia and said, what, what is it to be nice? You could give me a really good explanation, as any human being could. But this is where, this is, might come as a shock to you, but the Bible doesn't refer to God anywhere as being nice. Things go quickly wrong in our, um, in our walk with God when we presume that he is nice. Seriously. Things go very quickly wrong when we presume upon the niceness of God. And let me temper this a bit. I'm not advocating that God is cruel because he is not in everything that he does. He is kind, he is good, he is faithful. And in his sovereign plan for us, even when it looks like all hell's breaking loose in your life and you've got sickness and there is loss and you're in the valley, even in that, God's sovereign plan is good. That's the starting place. Whenever we talk about any of this stuff, you must, must have an understanding that God is good. But when, you know, a Christian builds their theology, that is their, um, 
you know, theology as in your belief about God. When a Christian builds their theology around the notion that God is, is nice, um, they soon find themselves in a really tough predicament because let me tell you some of the things that nice doesn't make any room for. Nice doesn't make any room for suffering. Nice doesn't make any room for suffering. It, it, it makes no room for trials and tribulations. It makes no room for the uncomfortable process, as I've, as I've been explaining. It makes no room for the uncomfortable process of growth. You know, in theological terms, if you want it, sanctification. We're going to do a Bible study in, in November. Dr. Steve Jenkins is going to come and do two weeks on sanctification. What Sanctification being the formation of Christ-like character in our lives. That's going to be really interesting. Get yourselves along to that. But niceness doesn't make any room for that. So, what is kindness? We're going to look a little bit. At, we're going to look a little bit at kindness. But this is what I would say. This is what I would say. Um, God's kind nature. The, the best place. Let me put it another way. How do we best see God's revealed nature? Well, there are many things that the Bible talks about, and we see it in creation. For instance, it talks in Romans about how people are without excuse. No one can deny the hand of the Creator because they can see it all around. You go out for a walk today and you get blown halfway across the road by the wind. You know, you can say, actually, I know the Creator that, that, you know, that created that. But the best way in which we see the God's revealed nature is in the person, Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. And the exact, everybody say exact. The exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So it makes my job pretty simple this morning. When, when we talk about kindness, I say, what, do, what is God's kindness? What does it look like? It makes my job pretty simple because the first place we go to is Jesus. What did Jesus' kindness look like? You know, Jesus was kind to, let's just make a list this morning. Jesus was kind to the marginalized, weren't he? He was, he was kind to those who were on the, the edge of society, those that people didn't want to bother with, those who were the outcasts. He was kind to the marginalized. He was kind to the poor, to those that were poor, those that were needy. He was kind to, he was kind to children and to women. In a day and age, can I say, where that wasn't really high on the, on the social spectrum. It wasn't very important to treat women and children, you know, with dignity and respect and with kindness. Yet he did. He was radical in that sense. Christ exercised kindness, which broke down walls of hostility. You know, I'm thinking John chapter 4 now, the, you know, the Samaritan woman at the well. You know, associating with a woman that any good Jewish man just would have, wouldn't, been, wouldn't have been seen with. His kindness broke down walls of hostility. Now, because the Bible calls us to be imitators of Christ, that means that our standard for kindness is Jesus. That's what his standard for kindness is. I'm going to be completely honest with you this morning, right? Our kindness shouldn't look like what society dictates kindness to look like. Because that can be very skewiff. That can be very corrupt. It can be... It, it can be very confusing, let's put it that way. Our standard for kindness is Jesus Christ. You know, so before we get all sentimental, you know, it's important to remember that Jesus' kindness actually came at great cost. Jesus' greatest act of kindness was dying in our place, wasn't it? 
It was dying in the cross on our place. I, take, I cast my mind back to that first uh, week when we were talking about love and saying that the, 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 the best way that we can see love, the best way that we can see love is by looking to the cross of Christ. This is love that God gave, the Son died, and you and I were set free. Our sins were forgiven. And the same goes for kindness. We look to the cross as the standard. That's what kindness looks like. It looks like self-sacrifice. It looks like dying to ourselves. It looks like, it looks like somebody putting their self you know, on the line for somebody else. Which is really tough. I know it is in a day and age where everything is about me. Everything is about you know, how I can get the best out of this. So God's kindness was no small thing. And guess what? <laughs> that means that our kindness will cost us dearly. That if we're, if we're, if we're uh, serious about, if we're serious about being full of the Holy Spirit, if we're serious about carrying around God-like kindness, it'll come at great cost to us as well. And I want to ask us this morning just that simple question. Are we kind? Are we kind? As we read through the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, you know, many things come to mind. But, you know, actually, and this is the, the way that we should all read the Bible. Can I encourage you? The way that we should all read the Bible isn't, you know, as you get the pages open each day, don't be casting your mind first and foremost to the world and what's happening in the world or even to what's happening in your brother or sister's life in the church. Let's first and foremost be casting our own mind and saying, is this a good representation of me? Am I following these instructions? Is this my top priority? And, and as we read through these fruits of the Spirit, that should be the first thing that comes to mind. Is this, is this fruit descriptive of me? When it says kindness, when it says love, when it says joy, when it says peace, when it says patience, is that descriptive of me? It means doing a little bit of surgery on yourself. It means doing a bit of self-examination. Are we kind? Are we generously inclined towards those around us? Or do we speak harshly to them or about them, for instance, when they're not present? You know, for some of us, for some of us I think we are what, what I would call hidden critics. Hidden critics. You know, some people are blatant critics, aren't they? You know, you know that they're blatant critics. You can be talking about something and without, you know, any warning whatsoever, boom, character assassination. They're pulling somebody's, you know, character and nature down, slandering them left, right and centre. But... That's not everybody, but if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we can be hidden critic, can't we? We allow ourselves a, you know, a moment to just pull or tug at that person's character because they're not present. Um, you know, and often, you know, things like who watches the the Saturday night TV shows and stuff like that? You know, like the talent shows and everything. They're quite fun, aren't they? At times, some of it does my head in, but Lucy loves it, don't you? <laughs> But you know, some of those shows, seriously, some of those shows, seriously, it's, it, provide people with an opportunity to be really cruel. Provide people, I'm not saying that, you know, you shouldn't watch them or anything like that. I'm, I'm not saying that. But it provides sometimes us the opportunity to be really cruel. You know, really criticizing and being downright nasty in some, in some ways to, you know, to somebody's appearance or, you know, going as far as their, their ability and their gifting. You know, I, uh, football, I've been going to football now. This is a prime example. I've been going to watch football now for a long time. Um, and I've quickly discovered that actually watching the game isn't the, isn't the whole entertainment. That's only part of the entertainment. Actually, for most blokes, and I know some women are into football as well, 
but for most guys, the part and parcel of the entertainment is in the pub afterwards or on the train journey home where, you know, all of a sudden you've become the best football manager in the world and you're pulling apart and telling your mate how useless the team is and, oh, you know, that guy up front, you know, I'd shoot him. He's, he's awful. He's, you know, we need to get him out of the team. And, you know, and criticism just comes really naturally, doesn't it? comes naturally. It falls off the tongue. You know, some of us, the drive to work in the morning, you know, the daily commute to work in the morning or the, you know, the driving to the shops or doing the school run becomes like a crucible of kindness, doesn't it? You know, am I generously inclined towards this driver, you know, including the one who's just cut in front of me and the one who's driving that close to my bumper? You know, am I, am I generously inclined to him or am I imagining myself throttling him? <laughs> or is that just me? No. Forgive me, Lord, please. So kindness is, what I'm saying is kindness is no menial thing. It's no menial thing. We can't think of it like that because God displays kindness. It's of huge significance and this is why it makes Paul's list of, of the spiritual fruits. You know, when we grow in it and operate in it in our lives, it yields um, marvelous fruit both in our lives and in the lives of those around us. So I'm going to move on, but I've got just a, f a couple of things to share this morning. A few reasons why we shouldn't belittle kindness, but actually observe it with, you know, with great tenacity. And actually make this a part of who we are. Actually hunger to, to, to become like this. And active, actively ask the Holy Spirit to, to increase the kindness in us. And the first one is this, that kindness is the benchmark for authentic Christian faith. I'll say that again. You're looking confused on the front row there. Did I say it too fast? Kindness is a benchmark for authentic Christian faith. This is where I'm coming on to 2 Corinthians when I said that I'd speak about Paul. But in 2 Corinthians, um, Paul basically has to give a defense for his, for his um, position. He has to give a defense of his authenticity as, a, as an apostle. And the background to it essentially is that people in the church at Corinth were, you know, essentially pointing a finger at him and saying, are you the real deal? You know, because what they really wanted was the, the superstar preacher. What they really wanted was, you know, the modern day equivalent of, you know, the tele-evangelist and the guy who'd got, you know, the fancy suit and all of that. And, you know, had all the ability in the world, could work a crowd, you know, knew how to do a performance and all that. And they're looking at Paul saying, you don't look like that. You don't look like that. Are you, are you genuine? What, you know, what authority are you coming here telling us, to, uh, telling us the way to live our lives? You know, what makes you authentic? And um, they, were, they were making an accusation that he wasn't the authoritative leader that he was claiming that God had called him and commissioned him to be. And what's really remarkable is that, you know, he could have come from all different kinds of angles to defend his, to defend his position. Could have come from so many different angles, Paul could have. Um, he could have laid down all his great qualifications. I mean, this guy was a, a you know, talk about an intelligent mind. He, he was clearly a very intelligent mind. He could have, he could have, he could have spoke about all his great qualifications, his great natural intelligence. You know, his, his status as a high-ranking Pharisee. You know. Um, before he came to Jesus, his heritage as a Jewish man. You know, all of these things, uh, I'm sure, would have appeared to be impressive to those at Corinth. But get ready for it. This is the list that he comprises, right? Are you ready for this? 2 Corinthians 6, 1-13. to It says, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Because they were trying to discredit his ministry. It says, Rather, as servants of God... We commend ourselves in every way in great endurance, 
in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and there's our word again, kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. I read through that and I just think, Phew, Paul is pouring everything out there, isn't he? But that really isn't a list that if you were going for a job interview to try and impress a potential boss, that isn't the list that you would put together, is it? It's not. You wouldn't form that list. And so, surprisingly, one of the things that Paul includes in there in a defense of his faith, in a defense of his authenticity, is this kindness. Wow. Kindness. You know, I'm paraphrasing here, but Paul essentially says, you want proof that I'm an apostle, or right, here it is, I'm kind. Among other things, I'm kind. That might not be good enough for you. You know, he's saying to the church, all right, that might not be good enough for you, but that is an authentic, um, that is a, that is an authentic um, standard of, of, of Christianity. It's a benchmark of the faith. Kindness isn't some kind of fake veneer that we just put on to show that we're a good Christian. Can I say that loud and clear? It's not just some fake veneer that we put on to portray that we're some kind of good Christian. Have nothing to do with that kind of hypocrisy. Have nothing to do with it. That's just pure religion. Pure religion. It's not another version of, like I said, nicey-nicey. You know, let's have a cup of tea and, you know, pretend everything's all right. It goes far deeper than that. It is a commendation of authentic Christian character, and we need to remember that. You know, when you're tempted to think that it's not a big deal uh, to speak harshly to your spouse or to your children, when you're tempted to slander and gossip about someone over a cup of coffee thinking, you know, it's just harmless chit-chat, when you're tempted to bring your, you know, your bad attitude to that, to that meeting and cause, restless, uh, cause a restless atmosphere for everyone else just because you're in a mood, Let's remember this, that kindness is of colossal importance. It's of colossal importance. The next thing is this. Kindness is a healer. This is why kindness is important, because kindness is a healer. Ephesians, um, Paul writes these words to the Christians at, uh, at Ephesus in Ephesians 4.31 through to uh, chapter 5 verse 2. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. He says, basically, if you're a Christian, those things have got to go. There's no room for them. If you're a Christian, there's no compromise on this. You can't, you can't just have a few of them and allow yourselves. Literally, all of it's got to go. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. He says, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God, as we've already said, as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Those are hugely significant words there, church. That's a really rich text, as you can see, which, you know, you could pull all kinds of things out of, and you could do a whole sermon series just on, you know, Ephesians 4 there, couldn't you? Um, 
But one of the main things I take from this is that kindness is a great healing factor in the context of community. So in the context of our community, church, kindness is, a, is an incredibly healing factor. He says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God forgave you. You know, he tells us to have a tender heart towards one another. Let's just think upon what that means. You know, the point here is that Christian kindness isn't just merely an exchange in our, uh, it isn't, sorry, it isn't just an external change in our manner. Christian kindness isn't just a, an external change in our manner, it's an internal change of heart. Because the heart begins to come, become tender. You can show f- kindness to somebody. This is what I'm talking about, a fake veneer of kindness. You can show kindness to somebody while still having a really cold, hard heart. That's really easily done. If we're honest with ourselves, we probably do that more often than we, than we let on. We can show kindness to somebody while still keeping a... Um, so we can do the first part of the, of the command to be kind whilst failing to recognize the second part of the, kind, uh, of the command to have, a, to have a tender heart. Let's say, for instance, I was... You know, just as an example, let's say, for instance, I was carrying hard-heartedness for some reason towards... Let's pick on Tony because he's thick-skinned. Let's say I was walking around... Uh, you know, harboring some kind of hard-heartedness towards Tony for some reason because he'd upset me in some kind of way, you know, and I'd let it fester to the point where my heart was hardening, you know, but then still carrying that hard heart, you know, I want, I'll go and help Tony with something that's going to help him out, for instance. Can I just say this morning, that's not Christian kindness. That isn't Christian kindness because Christian kindness actually adds on to that tender-heartedness. It doesn't just say be kind, it says tender hearted the heart motivation is the important thing in that command if you miss that you miss the whole point if our heart is hard on the inside but our manners are gentle and polite and helpful on the outside it's not christian kindness the idea behind tender hearted is that our heart is easily touched that it's responsive towards our brothers and sisters rather than distant and cold so he instructs us paul instructs us forgive one another as god forgave you and that shows, you know, that to me, I'm going to finish in just a second. Maybe the team can come up and we'll, um, and we'll, we'll worship as we close this morning. But um, that shows to me that, that forgiveness and kindness go hand in hand. Forgiveness and kindness go hand in hand. It isn't true Christian kindness if it doesn't forgive. Let me say that again. It isn't true Christian kindness if it doesn't forgive. I know this is probably bringing up memories of Sam's excellent Bible study from the other week. And you're thinking through those thoughts again. And I'm glad if I've motivated you to think through those thoughts again. But it isn't true Christian kindness if it doesn't forgive. He says first, forgive one another. God's, can I say this? God's forgiveness was costly. And can I tell you this? So is yours. So is yours and mine. God's forgiveness cost him his son. And it will cost us, dare I say it, it might cost you the sweet taste of revenge. Because let's be honest, it tastes really good, doesn't it? It will cost you that sweet taste of revenge and the pleasure of savoring a, a grudge of you know, superiority. I've got something over that person. While I'm unforgiving to them, I've got something that I can hold over them. That isn't true Christian kindness. And then he says, secondly, as God forgave you, we must believe that God has forgiven all of our sins. 
We must believe that God has forgiven all of our sins. I know that sounds like an obvious thing to say, but in order to be kind, you must be forgiven. In order to be kind, you must be forgiven. In order to be kind, you must believe that you are forgiven of all your sins that you have ever committed and will ever commit. This is what creates a tender heart in a Christian. When you say to me, well, how do I get a tender heart when my heart has been hard for years, Nathan? How do I get a tender heart when my heart has been cold towards my ex-husband who was just awful towards me? How do I get a tender heart towards, you know, towards my sibling who, you know, who just who took me for granted? How do, I, how do I have a tender heart towards that person who was abusive to me in my childhood? Whatever it looks like, whatever your unforgiveness looks like, how do I get a tender heart? And can I say this morning, there's one, there's one way. I think there's one true way, and that is by dwelling upon the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. You see, you see, the redemption of God, the grace of God means absolutely nothing to you if you don't understand that you need to be forgiven. It doesn't. You can read page after page in the Bible. You know, we could preach every single week about God's sacrifice for us and his love for us. We could sing all the songs about how he died on the cross, etc., etc. But if you don't believe that you're a sinner in need of saving, it will mean absolutely nothing to you. It go in one ear and out the other. That's how you get a tender heart. Do you know what? There are sometimes when I pace around um, praying and God just leads me into a moment where I just realize that I'm really, really, really in need of his grace. Because when I look at my own nature, I realize that it falls so short of God. That in many ways it's ugly. That in many ways it's unkind. In many ways it's cruel. It's selfish. It's bitter. It's all of these, these things that the word of God rejects. And he just leads me into a moment where I realize I desperately need him. I desperately need his grace. You know, he leads me to tears. I'm not ashamed to say that. that I, pray, I, I, I cry like a baby in God's presence sometimes because I realize that he's been so good to me. That's how you develop a, a tender heart, church. That's how you develop a tender heart. I want to finish there. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Let's pray together. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, of all the things that have been said today, I just feel your pressing, Lord God, upon our hearts this morning just as I close. I can see in people's eyes, Lord, that they're just responding. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just respond with our minds this morning, but that we'd respond with our hearts. Lord, I pray for cold hearts all across this place. All across this place, Lord, I pray for those who have grown cold-hearted, Lord, with unforgiveness, cold-hearted with resentment, cold-hearted with bitterness. Lord, where we've forgotten, Lord, the, the generosity shown to us by Jesus as he died on the cross for us and he paid the ultimate sacrifice. Lord, that your, that your forgiveness, Lord, is the most costly. Lord, we know that kindness doesn't come cheap. Pray for each of us this morning, Lord, that there be a warming of hearts goes on. Warm, cold hearts this morning. I ask, Holy Spirit, would you just come and dwell in us, Lord? Come and dwell in us, Lord. As we close this meeting this morning, as we praise you, I pray that there be a warming, Lord God, taking place. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. This is a failure.
Just to remind us, you know, if, if you're coming for the newcomers lunch on the 16th of February, which is just next week Sunday, um, if you just put down your name with um, Julie or with any of the leaders um, so that we can make provision for, for lunch on that day. So if you just put down your name with Julie, Julie, if you can indicate that's Julie here, just let Julie know you'll be coming and so that we can make provisions um, for the meal. Uh, we'll have tea and